When it comes to different global initiatives and geopolitics, there are a lot of countries out there. And as hard as the United States might try, no one country can lead the way in everything. So there end up being, for lack of a better term, follower countries. You know, Robins to the Batman, Watsons to the Sherlock Holmes. And when it comes to transfer pricing, the subject of today's show, Sweden, tends to follow the OECD guidelines as much to the letter as just about any country in the EU. Now, where things get tricky is how those heavily OECD-influenced regulations get enforced. Also, the country's relationship with its Scandinavian neighbors, and, looking at recent headlines at least, whether or not Sweden will continue to stick so closely to those guidelines. And to absorb all of those nuances, that you'll just have to tune into our conversation with Cross-Border Zone Netherlands-based transfer pricing expert Hosker Hugenberg joining us on today's show. Along the way, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words throughout the program. Email all three to the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. Once again, all one word, the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. And we'll reply back with your certificates. But before we begin, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. Teamwork makes the dream work. Just ask Russia and Hong Kong. The Russian Federal Tax Service declared that it would be inking an additional deal with Hong Kong to exchange country-by-country -country reports for 2017 and 2018. As for the fine print, entities from both countries with subsidiaries in respective territories will be excused from late submission fines and filing requirements. And 2017 and 2018 aren't the only years getting some tax reporting love. CBC reports for 2019 will be automatically provided to the participating countries as mandated by the Multilateral Competent Authority Agreement. The winds of change are constantly blowing, especially in Poland's tax department. Poland's Council of Ministers plans to introduce a new bill that will amend corporate income tax rules, including transfer pricing regulations. While there is nothing set in stone, the official announcement includes plans to widen the arm's length rule umbrella in the scope of companies required to prepare transfer pricing documentation, especially those doing business in tax havens. There's also talk of modifying regulations that pertain to, quote, Polish source income to align with double tax treaties as amended by the BEPS multilateral convention and making tax policies public for certain taxpayers anyway. And Poland is wasting no time getting this bill in action. It's expected to be signed and published by the end of November and in effect by January 1st, 2021. Feeling a little stressed lately? Yeah, us too. But if you're an M&E filing in Belgium, good news, you can save that stress for next month. Back in July, the Belgian tax authorities extended 2019's corporate income tax return deadline and local file deadline from September 24th to October 29th. So there's still plenty of time to comply. The subtext, file on time and pay close attention to that local file, also known as 275 LF. It has been key in determining who gets audited by Belgian tax authorities. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. 
Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. Oscar, thank you so much for being back with us on the Fiona show. You've been in the tax industry now for nearly 30 years. What makes tax interesting to you? Well, you know, Matt, I mean, it's um, things change constantly. I think, you know, that that makes it interesting. It's never a dull moment, although a lot of people would think, well, working in taxes, very dull. But uh, actually, it's on the contrary. And, and certainly, you know, in transfer pricing, over the last, I would say, decade, a lot of things have happened and it really makes it interesting. And, you know, it's now also very much also, you know, on the mindset of politicians and the whole tax agenda is on also their mindset. So it's it's a very interesting topic. You know? Yeah. And also very relevant. Yeah. I, I, I think in the last few years, especially, I think transfer pricing especially is indicative of this, but that transfer pricing is always referred to as a, an art rather than a science. I mean, part of what kept me away from any kind of accounting focus in college was that it was so objective. So that shoved me into, you know, English lit. And now uh, there's a place for us in, in, <laughs> in this world of numbers. Uh, what mistakes do you see multinational companies making repeatedly? Well, I mean, in relation to transfer pricing, I would say is to you know, still think that with generic studies or regional studies, they, they will be compliant with rules and regulations in the countries in which they operate, which no longer is the case. And, and I do see that almost on a daily basis where uh, you see companies that that still you know, continue as if you know, they were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And, right. well, the world's changed and, you know, you need to... Uh, of course. You have extensive experience as a tax expert in the Netherlands, of course. Uh, tell us about your experience with Sweden. Yeah, well, you know, in my uh, previous role, I was in-house tax director and uh, for a multinational. Um, and uh, besides being responsible for transfer pricing, I was also responsible for tax controversy, so managing tax audits and everything that uh, goes with that. And as you know, in that role, I've had uh, my fair share of uh, Swedish tax audits, which obviously were always about uh, transfer pricing. And uh, even went to court in Sweden um, on that particular uh, transaction. So I've been around the Swedish tax system for uh, quite a while. And Sweden, as probably many of our listeners know, is a member of the OECD. Tell us about how the country has adopted BEPS Action 13. Yeah, I mean, Sweden, as you said, is a, is a full member of the OECD and uh, has also fully adapted Action Plan 13. So country by country reporting and the local file master file uh, requirements. And uh, they are effective for Swedish companies for their financial years, starting from March 31, 2017 onwards. 
So from that day onwards, all Swedish entities part of a multinational group that meet the requirements uh, have to prepare a local file and or master file. And so depending on the volume or the size of the company, also country by country. Now, what are the transfer pricing documentation requirements in Sweden? Well, it's it's uh, Sweden is one of those countries that really basically has adopted the OECD uh, TP documentation rules uh, into, into their own regulations. Really, basically, the format of Action Plan 13 uh, when it comes to local file and master file requirements are now, you know, the requirements for Swedish purposes. They have not added any material rules, additional rules or requirements to their legislation. So it's basically, you know, if you have a, a local file and, and master file soon to Action Plan 13 format, then you're good to go in Sweden. Right, right. Now, the thresholds here, documents are not required if the company has less than 250 employees and the company has an annual turnover of $450 million or less. Is that more just a barrier to keep, say, startups out, a very general barrier? Or does that say something more indicative? Yeah, it's, it's well, it's, it's due to, you know, to avoid that smaller, you know, companies that maybe just have uh, operations uh, also in one or two other countries, you know, also have to uh, prepare these type of fence pricing documentations. And bear in mind, it's, it's, we talk about Swedish kroner here, we talk about the annual turnover of 450 million. So that's mm -hmm. all divided by eight to euros. So you do get to, you know, somewhere around, or well, 70 million, I guess, uh, around that ballpark. And also bear in mind that that threshold is looked at from a consolidated perspective. So you look at it from the group perspective. So the 250 employees and the annual turnover. So, you know, if you have a smallish Swedish entity, but that is part of a more sizable group, then still that company has to comply with the local file requirements. Right. And how do Sweden's requirements and the OECD guidelines align or differ? I, I feel as though we might have covered at least the extent to which they align, and it might be easier to identify the ways yeah. they differ. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there is really not, not much difference from a content point of view. They pretty much took the, uh, the OECD guidelines and, and implemented that into regulations, or at least you know, accept that companies have to comply with these guidelines and also to actually meet Swedish requirements. It's maybe a slight difference compared to a lot of other countries is that you only need to submit or confirm that you have the file and submit upon request, which is maybe, you know, also a system that Germany applies, whereas a lot of other countries have a you know, a system where a company needs to check the box in their tax return that as per the filing of the tax return, they do have their TP documentation readily available. And also the Swedish local file, uh, although that's also applicable to other countries, can include transactions of all Swedish entities that are part of a group. So you do not need to prepare a local file for each of your Swedish entities that are within your group. So if the group you know, considers it more easy to 
prepare one file that covers all Swedish entities and all the uh, controlled transactions, then that's also uh, okay from a Swedish perspective. It's required that there's contemporaneous preparation of the documents, but if documentation is only required upon request, what is the incentive for preparing it contemporaneously? Well, there is a system of penalties in Sweden as well. And, you know, if, if you can demonstrate that by the time of entering into the agreement, mm-hmm. uh, intercompany agreement and the transaction, you already had your documentation ready and available, or you had done your documentation, you had done your analysis of transparent purposes, you know, it shows that you have looked at it. And then at least the Swedish authorities cannot argue that, you know, you deliberately try to avoid Swedish taxes. From that point of view, it is important to maintain your transfer price documentation real time. But also more in general, I would say a more practical reason what I always tell customers is that, I mean, a tax audit or a request from a tax authority can come three, four, five years after the end of the financial year. If you then still need to prepare the documentation, you know, you run the risk of information not being available anymore. People have left the company. You're not able to, to get the right level of detail. And it becomes a much more painful process then to prepare the documentation. Whereas if you do it immediately after the end of the financial year, you know, the information is fresh. The whole, you know, tax department, financial department is also in, yeah, in the mood of, or in the mode of, doing compliance exercises anyway, as I would always recommend for countries like Sweden, there are other countries as well, to also keep your transfer pricing uh, documentation available real time. And for our first CPE code, we're keeping this simple. The word is Viking, as in the Swedish Viking age lasted roughly from the 8th century to the 11th century. See, you learn things on this show. Now, Hasker, what is the language requirement for documentation handed in Sweden? Well, like other Scandinavian countries in Sweden, you're allowed not only to maintain your documentation in Swedish, which is quite obvious, I would say, but also in English, but also Norwegian or actually in Danish, which uh, um, also actually applies to Norway and Denmark. So uh, these countries uh, yeah, accept each other's languages. For a Danish company that also has Swedish Subsidiaries, you know, they they could decide to uh, if that's easier to them prepare and maintain the documentation in um, in Danish. Mm. It seems as though where things get a little bit more tricky is the CBCR notifications and reports. What can you tell us about the thresholds and requirements here? Yeah, I mean, again, Sweden follows follows really basically uh, the OECD uh, on that. Uh, you know, the threshold also coming out of uh, the Action Plan 13. So it's roughly $750 million threshold, which is Swedish kroner, around $7 billion. Um, and that's for the Swedish parent group that exceeds that threshold. So they are then required to file the country-by-country report with the Swedish uh, tax authorities within 12 months of the end of the fiscal year. And, you know, there are specific rules that if the ultimate parent company, because that's where the uh, the principal obligation lies under you know, the country-by-country uh, report system for the ultimate parent company to file 
CBC report with the tax authorities in that respective country of residence. So if that ultimate parent company resides in a jurisdiction that has not adopted the CBCR filing requirements, then you know the Swedish entity or permanent establishment actually also, because they a permanent establishment also has an obligation to maintain transfer documentation, may be required to actually file the report in Sweden. You know, the CBCR report has to be submitted within 12 months after the end of the fiscal year. You know, the CBCR notification has to be done before the end of the report. Now, when it comes to benchmarking, are there any special requirements? No, not really. I mean, um, like many countries nowadays, Sweden also has a preference, or the Swedish tax authorities have a preference for local benchmarks. But they are also very comfortable with regional benchmarks, you know, typically Scandinavian benchmarks, or or even pan-European benchmarks for that matter. You know, they are generally accepted. Uh, also, a little bit depending on the, the type of the transaction and whether you're able or not to find local or Scandinavian comparables. Sweden is uh, one of those countries that where traditionally most countries would accept a three-year economic analysis. So in order to actually, you know, review the results of your intercompany transaction, look at the financials of your comparables for three years. Sweden is one of the countries that actually prefers a single-year analysis. So you look at the most recent year available with the, the, well, the final comparable companies and you test that. You know, other than that, it's pretty standard. So, you know, you look at the interquartile range um, to actually determine the arm's length range. And also you apply a weighted average to, uh, to calculate. And for how long is benchmarking accepted? Well, Swedish tax law doesn't really make, make it very explicit to that companies need to do fresh benchmarking every year. So they, they still accept the traditional uh, concept of doing a fresh benchmark every three to four years and in the in-between years you update the financials uh, of these parable companies but given also the recent developments uh, related to COVID I would you know recommend uh, also for Swedish companies to actually you know do a very fresh benchmark uh, and, and you know do a fresh analysis uh, to cover uh, 2020 at least uh, in any event. And for our second CPE code word, that code word is CALMAR, spelled K-A-L-M-A-R, as in the CALMAR Union was a personal union in Scandinavia that from 1397 to 1523 joined under a single monarch the three kingdoms of Denmark, Sweden, including most of present-day Finland and Norway, together with Norway's overseas dependencies, and that includes Iceland and Greenland at the time. See, you learn things on today's show. Now, perhaps curiously, Hosker, the one place where Sweden significantly deviates from the OECD guidelines is requiring only a single year analysis. Uh, what's happening there? Why is that the big difference? In Sweden, they, they actually prefer single year economic analysis over multiple years. So multiple year, you know, traditionally that's what most countries would accept you know you would do a fresh benchmark every three to four years and in between you would update uh, 
you know, the financial statements of the companies that are in your in your list. Yeah, I mean, Sweden is one of those countries that is, you know, having a preference for single year. You know, other countries like Canada also um, like to see a single year analysis. I mean, it's not not something that coming out of that they're deviating from the OECD. I mean, the OECD is not very explicit on that, I would say. And, uh, you know, I think Sweden, just from a practical perspective, uh, uh, have adopted this single-year analysis uh, over a multiple-year analysis, uh, which they find to be, you know, giving them more accurate results that they want to look at. So if the point is to make things more accurate, how is that going to suss out with all things COVID and 2020's documentation for MNEs? Well, if you know the answer, you know, you win the lottery um, because that's one of the big challenges. It's, and, and, you know, they're still not yet. I mean, for 2020, I mean, results obviously will have a you know, significant impact for many companies. And when doing your 2020 documentation and your analysis, then your, the 2020 data of your comparable entities are not necessarily already available depending on how your financial year is. You have no choice other than to look at you know, 2019 data or even earlier, but that can give you a very mudded result, which is not in line with you know, the results for 2020. Okay, so bottom line, is it possible that Sweden will allow a multi-year analysis for 2020 documentation? Well, no, I mean, it, it's not going to really help you. I mean, if you do 2020 and you would apply a single year analysis and say, look at the most recent year available, you would look at 2019. If you go back to, let's say, the three-year analysis, which is most countries accept, you would need to look at 17, 18, 19. I don't think that will give you a better result or a more comfortable outcome if you want to test that against your 2020 results that have been heavily impacted by COVID. And what about the statute of limitations in Sweden, Hosker? On the basis of Swedish law, I, I, the tax authorities can issue a reassessment or you know, assessment and make an adjustment during you know, the six-year period after the end of the calendar year in which the, uh, the relevant fiscal year ended. So typically, they would you know, start a tax audit within that time frame. You know, they have to then issue a reassessment within, within that six-year period. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd.
now that we've covered at least the requirements and, and the different regulations for transfer pricing, turning to the tax authority themselves, how aggressive are the Swedish tax authorities? What is the likelihood of a transfer pricing audit in Sweden? The annual tax audit, tax audit in general is, I would say, is medium to pretty high. You know, and that's that's in, in a lot of countries. You know, a tax audit cannot be avoided in many countries. It's an integrated part of the review process by authorities. And, you know, the chances of or the risk of the tax authorities moving into and looking more closely on the transfer pricing, I would say for Sweden as well, is you know, medium to high. It obviously, you know, depends on, but not limited to, you know, the company's industry type of transactions, TP methods that have been applied, or whether there have been, you know, uh, unexpected variances in, in turnover or profit levels. Not looking at maybe a COVID situation, but in general, you know, if they see a large change in profit levels or turnover levels, that, that might give an indication. Also remember that many tax authorities, and Sweden is no exception, I would say, are also using technology these days to assist them with doing their audits. So they, they do a lot of data analysis on tax returns and they're very easy to find variances in profit levels or turnover levels, which could give rise to specific questions uh, on transfer pricing or focusing in on transfer pricing. As part of a general audit, yeah, I mean, the Swedish authorities typically also look at TP, you know, focus in even more so, yeah, depending on the, the type of transactions. And what about penalties for transfer pricing in Sweden? Um, well, Sweden has no specific transfer pricing penalties. You know, uh, in, as part of the Swedish system, you need to well, you need to be able to demonstrate that you know the positions that you've taken in your tax return, you know, are reasonable and are in accordance with local rules and regulations and can be documented. So, in that sense, it helps if you have truly localized transfer pricing documentation that meets all the local rules and regulations. Because if not, then it, it increases the risk of Swedish authorities first of making an adjustment by you know, also having the argument, well, you know, you haven't supported, you haven't had any support for it, you haven't documented it, so we're going to adjust it and, you know, give you a new assessment. But moreover, they can argue that, uh, you know, they will put a penalty on that because you, you as a company have taken a position that you have not been able to document. And, and that can go up to general penalties range from 20 or sorry, 10 to 40%. In cases of transfer pricing, you know, especially if a company has, has not done its documentation in a proper way and is, is not able to, to support that the transfer pricing that's been applied, you know, is at arm's length through you know, quality documentation, then the risk of that penalty going up to the 40% range is pretty high. Yeah, 40% is very high. Now, how likely is it that the transfer pricing methodology will be challenged in a Swedish audit? Well, you know, I mean, Sweden is, 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 not, uh, is not one of the countries where they have a very strong preference or a requirement for a certain method. And if you do not apply that method in particular, then you know, there's a high risk of the authorities challenging it. But, uh, you know, like in many countries, you know, it depends on the transactions involved for a typical group service transaction, low tax jurisdictions, which you know, also have to do a lot with uh, intangible assets. 
let's say on a cost plus as a profit level indicator, you know, that's unlikely that they might challenge the method. Uh, they might critically look at the actual margin that you report, but that's a different story. But, you know, on all the types of transactions, maybe, you know, in relation to uh, intangibles or if a company you know, applies profit splits and decided to use or have a, has used allocation tools that only give a small percentage of profit allocation to the Swedish entity, that, that might give rise to, you know, more critical review also when it comes to the method. So it depends on the transaction, you know, whether the Swedish tax authorities critically look at the method as well. And what are some specific industries or situations that are targeted for audits? Well, I would say, you know, the usual suspects, business restructuring, where there's been, you know, a transfer of, of business from, from one entity to another, especially when it's obviously also in two different countries. And, you know, transactions involving intangible assets, you know, because they are so easily to... You can very easily move intangible assets, compare that with tangible assets. Uh, you know, it's not that easy to move a factory. Um, but intangible assets are very easy to move. And, and so, you know, authorities are you know, very, very critical on these type of transactions. Also, you know, keeping in the back of your mind the whole situation around that triggered the BEPs and all of the action plans coming out of that is indeed, you know, profit shifting, in turning to what's on the horizon for transfer pricing in Sweden, this month, the Swedish government proposed to deny tax deductions for interest payments made to companies in countries listed on the EU blacklist. What does this tell us about Sweden's stance on base erosion and profit shifting? To me, it tells that you know Sweden is one of the EU countries that you know really full fully wants to comply with uh, these regulations as an EU member state. And, and they take the whole you know, situation around BEPs, you know, very serious. They want to very critically look at transactions that Swedish entities may have with group companies that are located or resident in uh, um, you know, blacklisted countries. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not, not even so much of a transfer pricing, you know. I mean, if you talk about, in this case, as you... As you mentioned, uh, you know, interest payments. I mean, objectively speaking, the interest rate as such might be fully at arm's length. But the recipient of the interest, if that is in a in a tax haven that you know is in the, on the blacklist, then that interest income is not taxable. Whereas the uh, uh, the counterparty, the Swedish group company, wants to take a full um, corporate tax deduction on that, and that's really what. Um, one of the BEPS actions uh, is trying to cover. Among the other transfer pricing headlines uh, from last year, under DOC 6, EU member states were expected to implement and publish national laws in line with the directive by December 31st, 2019. Sweden didn't meet that deadline. Why the delay? Well, you have to remember a little bit how, how it works in the EU. So, you know, at the EU level, they agree on a directive, in this case, the DAC 6, Directive, and but that as such, you know, is not a rule or a law in each of the EU member states. So each of the EU member states then needs to implement that into local regulations, and and that has to go through Parliament in each and every of the countries. So you know, like in the US, you know, there's a House and there's a Senate in most countries, uh, and it needs to pass to uh, 
the House and, and also the Senate. So, yeah, I mean, there are countries where that process then takes a longer time, maybe, than that the government uh, that agreed to the directive at the EU level uh, expected. So, you know, you do see, you actually do see that every now and then, that, that you know, local process of getting the rules coming out of a directive approved into local legislation, uh, yeah, it takes a bit longer than expected. Yes, no one, no one ever complained about the efficiency of bicameral legislatures, of course. <laughs> Uh, in speaking of delays, the Swedish government issued a new regulation on June 30th that defers the MDR reporting deadlines for six months due to COVID-19. What are the details behind that, and how do you think taxpayers are feeling about it? Well, you know, I think in general, uh, a lot of taxpayers were very happy that they, you know, they got an uh, extended period for uh, compliance, given that... Uh, Given the uh, COVID uh, situation, they had a lot of other things on their mind. A lot of companies, I think, were not 100% ready for it anyway. Uh, so I think they were quite happy with the extended period they have. So, you know, now they they still need to report by, what is it, the, the end of February 2021, they need to report the, the historical, called historical cross-border arrangements that fall within scope of the directive and that were implemented between what is it june 25 2018 when the directive was uh, adopted until june 30 2020 which was the original deadline that actually is coming quite quickly you know it's only about what is it uh, five months from now so i fear still a lot of companies have work to do on that respect there is now obviously also a further call it, you know, intermediary period, which is from July 1, 2020, to December 31st, 2020. Um, so for that period of, uh, you know, they also need to, they need to report that by, I believe that's already January 31, 2020. It's a short, um, short deadline for most companies. Sweden, as we've discovered through this show, is very much aligned with the OECD. Now, is that a sign that it's not particularly focused on transfer pricing? Or, or rather, what does that tell us about where transfer pricing is in Sweden's priorities? Um, well, I wouldn't say it, it's, it's not a priority to Sweden. I mean, what it's tells to me is that you know Sweden was very quick to adopt these requirements you know also on the local file master file so they do take it uh, very serious and are focused on it you know they were the countries you know, one of the countries that already per what is it March 2017 uh, companies needed to comply with it so they they feel that you know the, the rules coming out of the guidelines uh, coming out of the OECD are in line with what in Sweden they already had as a as 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 rules on on transfer pricing, which historically were also very much aligned with the guidelines from the OECD. And uh, and also bear in mind, you know, that Sweden, together with Denmark and Norway, they they do have a reputation of also, you know, targeting companies with combined tax audits. Companies are being audited uh, with a combined audit by the Swedish, Norwegian, and Danish tax authorities. And that's already, you know, going on for many years. Maybe that's also one of the reasons why they accept the transfer pricing reports, local file reports to be also um, acceptable in Norwegian and Danish, because they do on, on many occasions, especially I would say for 
the more larger type of multinationals, they do go about on, you know, uh, multi-country tax audit. So, I mean, I would say it has priority and Sweden has focus on transfer pricing compliance and also the, the audits related to that. But it, yeah, it is, it's one of the countries that, you know, believes that with the OECD guidelines, you know, in their back and, you know, also the OECD guideline when it comes to Action Plan 13 with the local file, master file content, that they are well, you know, equipped to, to uh, well, review transfer pricing positions of uh, uh, companies uh, resident in Sweden. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp and with our final cpe code word the last two were very dense admittedly so we're going to keep the third one simple the third cpe code word is stockholm as in the capital of sweden i'll let you guys look up how that one's spelled and we want to thank you so much, Hosker, for being on the show again. Uh, this has been a, a, at least a probing discussion on Sweden. Uh, before we close, though, we have time for my favorite part of the show. That's the what we want to know fire round. We put our transfer pricing expert in the hot seat for a rapid fire round of questions. We've got brand new ones for you. But always question one is, are you ready? I am fully ready. <laughs> and for question two, what has kept you sane during COVID-19? Wow. Um, well, I would say, um, believe it or not, walking. You know, we live, I live with my family in a village very close next to a national park, which, you know, from our house is maybe 300 meters. And you can go you know, do some serious walking. And that kept me very much insane, you know, going to do that every morning, being able to go out uh, on, on my own, you know, uh, walk for uh, one or two hours and uh, still being able to get out of the house. So that uh, really was a, a, a great thing to do uh, throughout the whole uh, period. Yeah. And yeah, there's a nice waterfront where I live in Peekskill and, and I, I don't know what I do without it, uh, at least the last six months. Uh, now, what is your proudest career accomplishment? Weird to say there are probably many, but, uh, you know, I've, I, I've been through, I mean, as I mentioned in my previous uh, function, I was an uh, in-house tax director, also responsible of, uh, you know, uh, managing tax controversy. And uh, that's not only managing tax audits, but, you know, every now and then also 
going to court. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud to say that uh, on these cases, which includes cases in India, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, as I mentioned, that actually um, I've always won. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. Always good to be undefeated. <laughs> now, if you could take a time machine to any era, what would it be and why? Um, well, I think, I don't know, the easy answer would be any period before February 2020. Um, <laughs> <laughs> going back to a normal life uh, in many ways. Uh, but maybe that's too easy, Matt. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I've always been fond of history, just as I was in school and etc. I don't know. Take the Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman you know, time. Um, you know, would be great to um, be in Rome during the period of Julius Caesar or something, and just experience how that that life was in uh, in that time. What is something that you think is overrated, and what is something that you think is underrated? Well, with the risk of it becoming a bit of a political statement, but um, what I think actually is overrated very much is this idea that many people have these days that they have the right to do everything, that they have the civil right or the constitutional right to do this or to do that, where I think where there are rights, there are also obligations. And, you know, in a society where you live in, and I think, you know, the idea of people that they have a lot of rights is very much overrated, which tells you also what I think is actually underrated, which is the idea of, you know, that people, you know, do not think about the obligations that they also have in society, you know, to think about other people and not only about themselves and go like, I have the right to do this, you know, I don't want to keep to the COVID rule or whatever. And I think, yeah, that's, that's underrated right now. Maybe that's responsibility but maybe that's the i don't know sign of the times hosker thank you so much for joining us today and thank you all for tuning in don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts and spotify and while you're there check out our short form sister podcast the fiona show hot off the press for all of your transfer pricing headlines from across the world in under 10 minutes or less my name is matthew Demello, and they let me host edit and engineer this podcast this episode featured contributions from associate producer christy clements until next week everyone stay safe and wear a mask